Hello, and welcome back to The Postscript, a podcast about films where the discourse ended with an ellipsis rather than a period. I'm Chris Hall. I'm Sebastian. I'm Mateo. And on this podcast, we will be reassessing films of recent memory where the discourse was left unsettled. We will try to provide more definitive takes on films that generated buzz upon release, but the reputations have since become murky. Movies that make you ask, where are they now? You know, last week we discussed Birdman from 2014, where we determined that the movie is kind of polarizing by nature. And we settled the discourse by saying that by design, the movie will always have people feeling mixed. And we promised that wasn't a cop-out answer. If, if you listen, you will totally understand. <laughs> this week, we will be discussing another film from 2014, but one of a, a much different breed. And that is Gareth Edwards' Godzilla. I want to talk to somebody in charge. You are not fooling anybody when you say that what happened was a natural disaster. You're lying. It was not an earthquake. It wasn't a typhoon. Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. And it is gonna send us back to the Stone Age. This film follows a Navy bomb expert played by Aaron Taylor Johnson as he attempts to reunite with his family while caught in the crossfire of an ancient rivalry between Godzilla and two parasitic kaiju. I mean, turn me up. I'm like, what What more do you want? I'm going to be honest. So as far as blockbusters go, especially like monster blockbusters, the movie was pretty well received by critics, although it only has a 3.0 on Letterboxd, which is worth noting. Maybe we'll circle back to that. And uh, the movie made $529 million, which is strong, right? For reference, its sequel, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, made $389 million. And then Godzilla vs. Kong made $470 million, which a little asterisk there, because that, that was like one of the first like post-COVID releases. So that's, you know, yeah. it probably would have made more than that. That was like a success. That was a success for sure back at during the time. Like Godzilla vs. Kong walked so Tom Cruise could run in, in the post-COVID, like who's seen <laughs> movies era, right? Yeah. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that Kong Skull Island made $567 million. And that's kind of where I want to start this discussion. Like the Godzilla IP has evolved quite a bit since this specific Godzilla movie. And I would say the main reason we wanted to revisit Godzilla 2014 is that its legacy and reputation is largely smothered and kind of lumped in with its sequels or the movies that came after that are now known as the monster verse, right? It's just kind of buried underneath what the universe has grown into. But from what we remember, the movie wasn't really concerned or Godzilla 2014. That is wasn't really concerned with like a cinematic universe, you know, or, or even setting mm -hmm. up sequels in the slightest. Like it had other yeah. things on its mind and other goals than just like, who should we have Godzilla fight next? Yeah, and, and I want to emphasize that like the the Godzilla universe up to this point obviously did have crossovers and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like other monsters coming in, but the star of the show, generally speaking, was always Godzilla. Like you always put yes. Godzilla in the title. And mm -hmm. this was the first time I think like this new universe where it's the monster verse and Godzilla is a star, but not the star. Right. Which makes it such a great stomping ground for us because we know this film wasn't trying to create a universe. It was more mm -hmm. trying to tell, 
you know, a coherent story that people found, you know, moving and engaging and has our boy Brian Cranston in it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And we'll get back to the, the cast is kind of crazy for this movie, but, but we'll get back to that. Um, but like you said, yeah, the, the kind of marvelification of, of Godzilla happened after this movie. But in terms of the discourse surrounding the movie in the moment, there was this kind of like meme. I mean, for some people, it wasn't a meme, but this like meme critique of, of there being not enough Godzilla in a movie called Godzilla. But then there was also simultaneously criticisms of the movie abandoning the human conflict in favor of Godzilla, like in its last leg which is a really interesting <laughs> dichotomy. Like it was uh, yeah. of these two criticisms existing. So that being said, uh, I want to throw it to you guys. Uh, what memories do you have of this film from 2014? Uh, Mateo, I know you've never seen this film, right? But maybe maybe you still have some memories of like what people were talking about or maybe what your fellow, uh, your fellow middle schoolers were maybe saying about it <laughs> back uh, in the day. Yeah. What I really remember more than anything was the excitement about, getting brian cranston mm -hmm. uh like in theaters because i mean he was really at the height That's right. of this extremely you know critically and popularly loved run with breaking bad like one of the best tv performances of all time and people were so excited to see him on the big screen my big memory was you know kind of like hearing about that that controversy that excitement like you guys said some of the frustration with there's not enough Godzilla and again, feeling that maybe some of the human characters came in a little bit underbaked, but it's such an interesting movie to me because I do think it's fascinating that the studios kind of saw maybe this sort of mixed reception and Lucasfilm gave him the keys to direct the first Star Wars movie spinoff. As Chris and I have both seen this film I think he and I both very much understand just having seen the movie being like why they gave him the keys to Rogue One. On a sense of scale, it, it translates perfectly. And that's almost exactly what they were going for with Rogue One. I'm very curious in the, the backstory and the behind the scenes of this film, whether or not the entire film was kind of his, his baby. Like if he kind of manifested this inter interpretation of Godzilla in his own think tank, or was it just kind of like a committee where like, this is like, you know, a new take on Godzilla that we were really excited about. And we want someone who can visually interpret it for us, but we already know what the groundwork is. So I I am curious going into my rewatch, how, how much of Gareth's fingerprints are going to be over this this film? Yeah. Do, do you have any memories of seeing it back in 2014? Absolutely. This is around the time of a, like uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Captain mm. America Winter Soldier. You know, like I remember the trailers playing you know, for Godzilla. And I mean, I had no interest in Godzilla before this year, which is why like those trailers hit so hard. They were, I mean, they, they convinced me that I had to see this movie. I didn't even like scary movies and the trailers like almost looked like a horror film, but the visuals that were on display and the really scary music that just keeps building up and building up and it leads to the... and eventual Godzilla scream at the very end to reveal mm -hmm. the title card. I was like, I have to see this movie. It <laughs> looks incredible. I think trailers have a massive place in our pop culture that we mm -hmm. really get, I feel like get under discussed. And like, mm -hmm. just like that, I vividly remember this is one of the trailers that convinced me to watch a film that I, you know, had no idea I would even want to want to watch beforehand. 
um which i thought was really cool and um then you know after seeing it i i was in love with it um mm -hmm. probably 2014 so 15 year old me would have given it a five out of five if i had a letterbox <laughs> back then i remember afterwards like going to school I, I was 15 so i was in high school and like going to like homeroom and people just being like yo like the godzilla like pretty like like midzilla kind of like <laughs> feelings and i was uh so bummed out by that discourse because I, I had enjoyed it so thoroughly that I uh, was scared to talk about it with anyone else. And so like the the resurgence of people talking about how much they enjoyed it when I got to college was a, a breath of fresh air, to say the least. Yeah, there are totally people who went into this movie or, or maybe go into all movies like this who are like, um, I'm just here to see see these big Janssens fight. Like I, I'm just here, I'm just here for the like, kaiju <laughs> action scenes. And it's clear Gareth was trying to do something else with this movie, something different. And I think what will become an interesting talking point for us is, is that we've seen criticisms of there being maybe not enough Godzilla, but then also that maybe there the humans were underbaked as well. So it's like after we watch it, we will probably discuss like. Did the movie not really do service to either of those, or was it actually a pretty sublime balance? And maybe mm -hmm. seeing the vision is a lot more rewarding. Just being like, you know, well, give me my action scenes. I, I, in one of the reviews I read from a really positive one, it was from from David Ehrlich and IndieWire. He said he was addressing some of the the criticisms of the like, oh, what happened to the humans? He read it as so much more intentional, and, and he was like, "Oh, as Godzilla becomes more prominent in the film, the humans like rightfully should become less important because like our mm. conflict be does become less important when you have a four hundred foot tall thing stomping around <laughs> like, and the world is at stake." He was like, "No, like he's like, I think it slides on the scales appropriately." So seeing where mm. all of us kind of fall on that, I'm very curious to see. So, so yeah, personally, uh, I remember having like, I don't know why, I mean, it was a long time ago. I remember having like little to no interest in, in seeing this movie. I, I think I just wrote it off as some oh. like, and some like big, dumb, loud action movie. I, I may, I, maybe I just didn't see the trailer that that Seb saw. I was going to say, yeah, you maybe might need to rewatch. I may have not seen that trailer, <laughs> but I did end up seeing it. I think, you know, uh, maybe a friend dragged me to it. And I remember not only liking it so much more than I expected, but liking it so much that I was almost like holding my cards close to my chest because of how much I liked it. Like, because, yes. because, because I was expecting such a big, dumb movie. And I was like, wait, I was like, that was like, I think that was like good, good. Like that was like actually like, a good <laughs> movie. I was like, am I allowed to think this about this movie? I mean, again, I, I was yeah. 14, so my, my takes don't really extend far beyond that. Um, but Sure. Uh, but, but I want to talk about Gareth Edwards now, uh, kind of in more detail, who's who's the director of this film and is another mm -hmm. large reason of why we wanted to talk about this movie. And uh, this is one of these things that like I knew this, but seeing it with my own eyes to confirm still blew my mind a little bit. Gareth Edwards has only made three movies and, and his fourth, the, the creator starring John David Washington, comes out this week and, and a quick detour. Like, I don't know how good this movie actually is. Obviously, none of us have seen it yet, but I would like to encourage everybody to go see it. Like, and right. I think in so many ways, it represents, like, how blockbusters should be made. I think it's, like, a force for good. I mean, it's an original story. It looks like it costs $300 million, but it only costs $80 million. You know, it's shot on location as much as it could. It didn't use volume tech. It wasn't relying on green screen. It has John David Washington, who post-tenant <laughs> could be leading every action movie, shot by Greg Frazier, who just won a, a Best Cinematography for Dune a couple of years ago. 
we're excited. We're, we're we are we are a pro I mean, reader pod. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are praying that this is not you know the next Tomorrowland. No, don't don't curse it like that. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. God. I'm knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood. It's right like now. like don't yeah, worry. like we all know you know that like utopia meme. It's like society if it's like society if the creator makes five hundred million dollars. Like that's like if this movie's a success, oh. a positive butterfly effect. But Edward's first feature film came in 2010 with a movie called Monsters, which. I mean, just based off the title, you might be able to guess why he was earmarked to make a Godzilla <laughs> movie, <laughs> a movie called Monsters. Right. But I just want to say uh, this: that movie's awesome. Uh, it's about a photojournalist who has to escort his boss's daughter back to the United States through the infected zone in Mexico, uh, where these large extraterrestrials that landed on Earth like a few years beforehand are now residing. Like, it's a really cool take on like just UFOs and, and stuff. It's like. Because usually in movies, it's like when, when aliens invade, it's like, oh, like it's the end of the world now. But in this one, it's like they're just kind of here now. Very timely yeah. <laughs> for what we're going through right now. Yeah. And in that movie, it's just like, yeah, just, just don't really bother them. Like, and, and hopefully they won't bother us. The movie was shot on a micro budget of $500,000, but apparently they came in way under that. And frankly, you would never guess it. Like the movie doesn't look cheap. And Edwards did almost everything on this movie. Like he directed it, he wrote it, he was the cinematographer, he was the camera operator, he was also the production designer and did the VFX for it. It's like on his laptop, like insane. It's, wow. <laughs> it's no serious. And again, you wouldn't guess it. it. Like it's the type of movie that makes you want to make a movie. It's very very cool. And then Edwards followed up this movie four years later with Godzilla, where he went from a five hundred thousand dollar budget to wielding a one hundred sixty million dollar budget. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And then two years later, he, uh, he makes Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, which was which was hugely successful. Uh, although the yeah. extent of his authorship over that movie is sometimes called into question, uh, considering the like reportedly extensive reshoots done by Tony Gilroy on it. Regardless, yeah. he does have a pretty strong track record so far. There's one buzzword that is often associated with him and, and kind of thrown out to describe his works. And, and, and even Seb used it when, when talking about him just briefly earlier. And that is scale, which being a director that is good at scale, like what being good at scale looks like can kind of be a tricky thing to define exactly. But it is, I would say it's mm. being able to convey the perspectives and proximities and even physical size of your characters in relation to their environments in the spectacle they are surrounded by. Like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, like an example of bad scale would be like, for those who saw the most recent Ant-Man movie, Ant-Man has the ability to grow to like the size of a skyscraper. And there were moments in the most recent one where like he was in his large form, but based off the way they were shooting him and his environment, like you might not have been like even able to tell that he was supposed to be large. Like you might have thought he was normal light. So that's bad scale. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of examples of Gareth doing scale really, really well in this movie in the post game. But like, and like Rogue One, good scale was like, it's like the soldiers charging the beaches where the AT-ATs were. And, and like, you really like see their perspective or or what it looked like from someone on the ground when like the Death Star entered the atmosphere, you know? So these skills are bound to shine in a movie like Godzilla, where you have a character that is 400 feet tall stomping around Earth cities, you know? And so like good scale in a movie like this mm. would be the director making you feel small like the characters do. That's what I'm most excited for to see in this rewatch and to kind of keep an eye out for. But that being said, uh, is there anything you guys want to add on about Edwards in general or scale or maybe just what you're looking forward to most in this rewatch? I, I do have something to say about, about Gareth Edwards. 
Okay. And I don't mm-hmm. want to, I, I don't want to like set the stakes too high, but I feel like not to like inflate the importance of our podcast, but I feel like the <laughs> opinion, I feel like the opinion that we come away with on Godzilla is like, like going to be very defining of like our general opinion and hopefully our <laughs> listeners general opinion about Gareth Edwards as a filmmaker in general, mm-hmm. because you have monsters, which to, you know, in the interest of like complete honesty, I had not seen, but is a, you know, a pretty small budget movie and like definitely a movie where sometimes on, on small budget movies, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to like really judge a director on like one movie. And then mm-hmm. you have Godzilla, which, you know, is on this podcast kind of has a murky reputation. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people, you know, were kind of mixed on it. And since then has kind of like faded away and then rogue one which is a movie that a lot of people like but is mired in these reshoots and these changes and it's hard to argue it's hard to really tell who did what on that movie because you know tony gilroy and gareth edwards are both like gentlemen and respect each other (laughs) and like air out all this dirty laundry so it really is down to godzilla and you know the creator which is coming out to kind of define like Gareth Edwards' reputation as a filmmaker because his filmography is so, so small. No, yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah, like in a lot of ways, just like Godzilla, the stakes couldn't be higher. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, you're right. I, I I do think post the creator, we will have a much clearer read probably of his, his tendencies as a filmmaker and maybe what the rest of his career might hold. Uh, but Seb, what are you thinking? I mean, there's only two directors that come to my mind when it comes to scale that do it as effectively as I've really seen. I think it's Gareth and it's Denise Villeneuve. So mm-hmm. I, I think those two are really kind of at the top of, of scale filmmaking. Obviously, we don't want to like overemphasize like, oh, scale, scale. That's like only what's important about <laughs> this film. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to making a good movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that it only adds to having a directing personality in a, in a positive light for him. I don't think it, it's like this double-edged sword that where it's like, he's a scale director, so that means he can only do like one thing. I think they mostly mention scale as like, no, this is just something that he like excels at. And it, that's, that's all it has to be. It's his greatest strength. Yeah. Right. And, but I, when you mentioned uh, monsters, I, and then all of those like credits that he had, all everything that he was involved in, it told me how much he cares and how much passion he has. Clearly, mm-hmm. you know, for the filmmaking process. So, I'm gonna go in with the idea that this guy, like, he really tried. You know, <laughs> he tried to put his best foot forward to make this movie as good as it possibly could be. And that's what excites me about you know delving back in because it has been a very long time since I've seen it. Because some of these movies, you know, when there's controversy or just mixed opinions, sometimes you automatically question the guy at the helm or the the woman at the helm. Mm -hmm. And I don't always feel like it's fair as like the starting point for blame, um, if there is to be blame. But this time, I, I think this very much is a Gareth project. So I will be watching him almost the closest out of anybody. A director's movie, for sure. Yeah. And, and from just a, a visual standpoint, broadly speaking, and it, we've talked a little on this podcast about 
how bad a lot of blockbusters look nowadays, especially with all the the cutting corners happening with like the new volume digital screen tech and the over-reliance on, on artificial environments. But I know this movie, not just because the movie came out before volume tech, but because of, like you said, like the sheer level of care Gareth seems to pour into his movies and just his level of craft and skill in general. I mean, like we said, he was the cinematographer on his first movie. And I think he also likes to operate the camera himself a lot. I just know this movie is mm. going to look really, really good. And it's going to feel like a yeah. breath of fresh air seeing a blockbuster like this in 2023. Um, any any last remarks on Godzilla before we, before we dive in? He, he also, you know, you guys talked about scale. I think Gareth also gets called like gritty and like documentary-esque and <laughs> that's realistic fair. That's fair. all the time. Yeah. And you know what? I think Godzilla is such a cool opportunity to explore that. So I want to see <laughs> how that aspect comes to life in the movie. I love that. That's that's a good take. Yeah. Yeah. I remember several scenes where you is exactly what you're talking about. And I won't mention any specifics, but like you, you're looking for the right stuff is what I'll say <laughs> um, for this film. Let's go. Um, Again, he, he likes to put you in the trenches for sure with the characters. Yeah. And I the only and you mentioned the volume briefly, and this is kind of the last closing thought, but I am mm-hmm. curious just technology wise if it's going to look dated in any way. Um, I do remember lighting being a huge point of discussion as well, beyond Ooh. just like screen time of monsters. Lighting was uh, uh, something that was uh, interesting. Some people thought, you know, it added to the atmosphere, and some people were like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who couldn't see, Sub just put his hands over his eyes and just shook around. <laughs> What's going yeah. on? Uh, great shouts by all. And, and then one last note that I forgot to mention, um, circle back on crazy cast. Aaron Taylor Johnson in the lead role, Elizabeth Olsen, second build, then with Brian Cranston, Sally Hawkins, uh, David <laughs> Strathern, uh, who plays our boy Noah Bosa in, in the Bourne movies. Love that guy. You know it's a banger if he shows up. Uh, Ken Watanabe, who, like, again, it's just uh, always love seeing that guy on the screen. Super fun cast. Excited to see all of them. Um, like French French art film favorite Juliette Binoche. Okay, yeah. I was, <laughs> what is she doing there? <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if that, would, if that would resonate with listeners, but no, yeah, that's crazy. Like, like why, is, why is she in this Godzilla movie? I'm super excited, <laughs> and, and it seems like you guys are too. So excited to dive in, and I'm just ready to just be stomped on by by, by Godzilla. <laughs> we, we, and, yeah. We believe in Godzilla. I was gonna uh, we, mention that we, we before we go in. Godzilla, of course. <laughs> I'm ready to just for my entire floor, uh, like just my entire floor to hear that Godzilla roar. I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna crank. It. I'm gonna open all my doors and windows. Let all of Sherman Oaks, California, no, hear it. Seriously, I wonder if like was that scream originally created for this film, or was that kind of like was there an original scream of Godzilla that they used into this? I I, I have no idea. You know, there's probably like a 15 minute behind the scenes of like how we made the roar. <laughs> you know, there is like yeah. 100%. Yeah. But yeah. All righty. Thank you guys for listening this far. Hopefully, you rewatch it too with us, and we will see you on the other side. In 1954, we awakened something. Well, there's nuclear tests in the Pacific, not tests. They were trying to kill it. You have no idea what's coming. The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control. And not the other way around. 
And we're back. Godzilla has saved the city. Uh, and after taking just a fat nap in the middle of San Francisco, um, he has re-entered the oceans. I'm just going to come out and say, I think I would die for Godzilla. Um, he, uh, bro, <laughs> just, just like any other homie, he has a couple flaws, but like he's definitely a slime. That being said, so I usually throw it to you guys first with these kind of post-rewatch general thoughts. But we, more so than Birdman, we are operating with a, a kind of full spectrum of takes post Godzilla, um, with a lot of a lot of feelings and emotions to sift through right now. So we're gonna start. We're gonna start kind of hottest to coldest. We're uh, I I will kick us off as I, I it seems that I am the most fond of this movie post rewatch. We'll throw it to Mateo and uh, he'll give his uh we'll say colder thoughts. And then Seb seems to be in kind of in the middle ground take wise. And so that's kind of how we'll move through just these opening thoughts. So so I'll kick us off. I just want to say that. In a time where there's so much gluttony in movie making nowadays and, and big studios just doing everything they can and everything they can think of just to please the audience and nostalgia big to high heavens with previously existing characters. I, I think the restraint this movie shows was just water in the desert for me. Like it, I was I was really, really impressed by that and and how much this movie understands that that less can be so much more. And which is a testament to the directing of this movie and which I know we're going to talk about that a lot. But I just want to say that I was unaware of how and I mean this as both as an analysis and as a compliment because I think it earns the comparison. But from like the spectacle down to the conversational scenes, I was surprised by how Spielbergian this movie was and how successfully I think it channeled some of those sensibilities. So that that's where I'm at so far. But M Mateo, oh. be, be the be the yin to my yang right now. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> okay, so I'm definitely not as hot on Godzilla 2014 as Chris is, but I do want to give some context. So I don't have that much experience with the Godzilla franchise. After after we finished recording the pregame, I went back and I watched, which I had never seen, the original Godzilla, and something that really and I don't want to talk about that movie too much on this podcast, but something that really stuck with me about how special 1954 Godzilla is, is how much time it spends with the human characters and how much of the movie is just about people reacting to Godzilla. So when I critique Godzilla 2014, I'm not coming at it from a place of, oh, there's not enough monsters. Like, I don't care about these people. Actually, my thoughts are really more kind of the opposite. So I I really like how the movie handles like this like conspiracy cover up uh with what happened with um the mudos which are like the flying creatures, the flying and the non-flying creature that are like Godzilla's primary enemies in the film. I like how it handles that especially in the first act because you're experiencing this giant story through the eyes of Brian Cranston and then Aaron Taylor Johnson later on. I think where the movie really starts to to just kind of lose it for me is after they escape, I think the movie just jumps from location to location and it doesn't I, I didn't feel like I had enough time to really feel the impact of the destruction that was happening. It it ends up feeling weightless in a way that the 1954 movie doesn't. Like in that 1954 movie, even with the cheaper effects, with the smaller budget, the destruction that is happening to Japan is like so, it's so immediate and intimate. And 
obviously part of that has to do with like this like post-war like trauma that happened from the nuclear bombings and you know it's hard to expect gareth edwards to channel that but i don't think he really he doesn't really like hit those highs as much as i would have liked to but i don't want to give i don't want to give him too much fault because i think it's i think it's ultimately just down to how breakneck fast this script is that really kind of brought the movie down for me but i, I want to give it to sub now because how, i want sub <laughs> yeah. to to balance this out here yeah i'll be the little circle that's in the middle of the yin yang um the, so basically my experience with this film i i have always remembered it very fondly um and on uh, going into rewatch I, I was excited to kind of revisit those feelings that i i had from watching the movie i i still enjoyed it i still had um a good time watching it there were a lot of scenes that i found to be really well done and i still think this is a movie that was made by you know, a director and not a committee. I think there was a vision behind it. There were decisions being made and not just, oh, we have one version of the scene and another version of the scene. Let's just choose uh, what, uh, you know, the options that our VFX made, uh, guys made for us. Um, so I, I do think that there is a coherent story being told. I agree with Mateo in the sense that there is a moment about halfway through the film where the film starts to jump a lot. And it, it does become a little waitlist. There's like, you'll see TV screens in the back, almost trying to give you exposition of like how much destruction is hap happening. And it's hard to really connect with that. Cause you know, you really can't tell the scale sometimes beyond just these really quick shots of, you know, perspective destruction. You, you'll see like someone in a casino get, you know, get wrecked or you'll see someone, you know, in a building kind of briefly encounter, uh, some kind of destruction going on. Um, I wish, and we will talk, I'm sure this will be the next part that we talk about. Brian, to me, was a perfect choice for this movie. And it's almost a tragedy, and it's an insane choice to kill him off that early. <laughs> because, to me, he could have carried this film um, into a different stratosphere for me if he stayed with it, if he, if he was in the whole thing. And obviously that they knew that they were taking a big swing by doing what they they did by killing him off early i think it was the wrong decision in my opinion i think that the, that the film could have benefited from his presence um throughout and uh the balance between him and aaron taylor johnson could have actually really um you know grounded the film a bit more and made, made it not feel weightless but um overall i still think there is a coherence to it you still feel like these characters, the, the army characters and Aaron Taylor Johnson are going on a succinct journey. There, There is stuff that's propelling it forward. It's not just new thing happens, we react, new things happen to react. It's I have to get to my family and these things are happening along the way. But in general, there is still that driving force that feels like it's going um, throughout the entire script. Right, okay. Okay, yeah. So I mean, well, well said by you both. And yeah, I wanna I wanna dive into Cranston now uh, because I think he will kind of serve as a launching pad into our conversation between uh, for just the Godzilla versus human balance mm -hmm. and kind of criticisms this movie faced. So okay, so yeah, so Cranston. Uh, like, hopefully you all have seen the movie by now. Cranston uh, does not live past the first act, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and he. Like Seb was saying, he really does have to carry so much in this movie. Like it is, 
it is up to him to essentially communicate the stakes, exposition dump, and also provide an emotional center for this movie. And I, I do think it's amazing. I think you guys will agree that, especially at this point in this in his career, he could have acted like he was so above this movie. And like, right. and frankly, like to say he gave one hundred ten percent is insufficient. Like he gave this movie yeah. everything he had, and it's so it's so amazing to see yeah it is so i mean he thought he showed up on set for breaking bad yeah that's that's the amount of work that he put i was watching with some friends and one of them goes like yo like rent was due for brian cranston (laughs) (laughs) which is the funniest thing ever considering this was the peak of his acting career like he literally he like yeah this was apex mount he had never had more juice and he was still again just like balls to the walls in this movie but he wasn't overdoing it too like he no but one thing I was saying, I think we'll talk about, is that you were saying that you know maybe it would have been a better, a better film if they kept him alive. And I have so many thoughts about that. At first, I was thinking, like, is it fair to ask if he should have stayed alive? Because, uh, because again, it can be, sometimes it can be a little fraught talking about what a movie should have been instead of just assessing what it is. But I do think it is a worthy discussion uh, of just, you know, was it a mistake to kill him off? I totally understand what you're saying of just like, oh, maybe we lost this emotional core when we lost Cranston. But then I was thinking, I was like, I mean, and this might sound silly, like, is there a role where having Cranston almost distracts from the main goal of the movie as it goes on? Because the movie very much so is trying to grow and grow and grow in scale. And and does keeping him around almost take away from like how the movie is intentionally trying to make it so much like less about the humans and, and and the humility and lack of egocentrism in the scale of this film i i think that the the decision to kill him off there it wasn't just random or to like oh we have mm-hmm. to create stakes like we have to like let's kill yeah. the main character we can't afford brian uh, yeah it wasn't that yeah. yeah yeah it wasn't that at all i i and i think it was very much centered around what you were just talking about um that mm-hmm. I, they needed to expand into like bigger scale stuff and brian brian's mm-hmm. role was you almost say he already did what he needed to do for the plot i just respectfully disagree with that that mm-hmm. idea because I think Brian's investment in the entire story of Godzilla and his personal attachment to what happened to him in the past. And can I just say shout out to that scene at the beginning in Japan? I mean, he was Amazing. unbelievable. I mean, the the hallway scene, I was like almost welling up watching. No, him. that is like, to to extract that much emotion that quickly into yeah. a movie, and it that is that is such that is such a gut wrenching set piece. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you highlighted that. Yeah. I really enjoyed that yeah. scene. Yeah, and so there's those moments, and I think that he could have given another one of those scenes, or maybe even two more in the rest of the film, because you know, Aaron, while he's great, there is kind of almost a monotone feeling to him that he's like i'm a soldier i gotta you know stay steady i gotta make sure that i get my job done and you know protect these people and that's obviously very you know good person i, I like to follow a good person in, in a monster mm-hmm. movie there's layers to brian cranston's character that make him a little bit more interesting you could have had debates with the doctors or the, the army people uh while everything's going on that i feel like could have added a little bit more um subtext uh to the film because mm-hmm. they try and do some things like you know they present the watch for like the hiroshima thing 
but it's like glazed over very quickly. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think that like stuff like that to me, add if you add Brian in, could have been better. Um, and it starts jumping around, and I think Brian would have added kind of that that grounded layer where it's like, listen, you're doing the mission. I I'm not capable of that, but I'm gonna stay back. I'm gonna kind of create um, the emotional core and context uh, of the stakes. And if he was there for that, I feel like he could have provided a lot more um, than just the exposition and um, you know kind of the setup at the beginning. Yeah, I mean to avoid the to avoid yeah like getting too much in a, the counterfactual. I think the problem like if I wanted to ground the argument specifically in the movie and not what the movie could have been because I, I think what I think what Seb is is saying is really kind of hitting the nail on the head like the you need it you just the the movie just lacks a character who can be in the room kind of like yelling at these people sometimes yes. like yes I think like Ken Ken Watanabe is like his character is like too restrained like I agree. maybe if they had if they had given that character a little more like passion a little more like mm -hmm. i don't know like un, un you know unhinged energy a, a couple think. a couple less scenes where he's just staring off into the distance yeah, you know, yeah. Looking concerned yeah. it's like all right ken look <laughs> a little more anxious in this scene yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like just just somebody to be a little a little unhinged in those moments like yeah. brian cranston is so brilliantly in that beginning <laughs> yeah is, Maybe, maybe kind of what we're pointing to, but man, that beginning is so good. I, I, I want to yeah. say I love the, I, I also just love that father son dynamic while they're exploring like, uh, yeah. the old home. Oh, dude, that was the, find, arguably my favorite the picture. That was yes. I, and it honestly, like the visual design, it looks, I wrote this down. It looks like a video game, but good. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like it's a last of us set piece. Uh, it, it's exactly, exactly. That's what that's literally what my friend said. Yeah. I mean, just spectacular visual and narrative just coming together there. Yeah, totally. I, I and I love the way it's able to meld through Brian Cranston. Like, kind of like I said, like the expositional and the emotional. Like the way those are kind of intertwined in his character in the beginning. Like that shot when he looks up in a pants back and it's like the happy birthday dad sign. It's just like, oh, how, like it's it's a really like emotionally cogent beginning. And I do. I do like broadly speaking how the movie starts. The scales are like are as small as possible. It, it starts the movie again at, on as personal of a note as possible, like with the hallway scene and exploring yeah. their own home with the sun. And then it and again, and its decision to increasingly grow is something we'll explore more. And that I totally understand what you guys are saying. Of like it would have the movie maybe would have benefited from just a, a stronger and maybe more complex kind of character to latch onto as the viewer and to kind of guide us through because once he once brian cranston exits the movie again aaron taylor johnson takes the center frame and he and i'm not even saying this as a knock against the movie he's just a less interesting character as brian cranston because he is right because i think more than anything he is just supposed to serve as a proxy for the viewer and he is yeah and something we'll talk about a little bit is that i i sometimes people confuse thin writing for simple writing and i think he's just He's just a simple character, and I think the simpleness of him is very intentional. And he's just, he's just a good guy who's trying his best. And like his dad says, like, doesn't want anything to do with this, but is kind of forced into this conflict. And I think Aaron Taylor Johnson, I, I think he's very serviceable. I, I think he's easy to root for, you know. And, and I and I think and I think you are kind of dialed in to just what his emotions and wavelength are. And it's a very simple goal: just I want to get back to my family. And I, I do think this is in service of, in something I think Edwards is really good at of 
making you, the viewer, feel as much as a character as anyone else in the movie. Like it, it feels like like it, it feels like you are truly like in this, in the fight with them, in the trenches. And when the movie's at its best, like I said, like it makes you feel so insignificant compared to what is happening. So that being said, I, I think we can just tackle just the kind of broad criticism of this movie uh, of just the balance between monsters and humans in this movie right and, and so as the scale grows you guys you know showed some concern of of just maybe losing touch a little bit with it and things maybe starting to move a little too fast being a little weightless but just how, how just where are you guys now post rewatch about that criticism of not enough godzilla in the godzilla movie or abandoning human conflict yeah i want to say the, the one thing that i remember hearing about people really crit critiquing about this movie when it came out was mm -hmm. not enough Godzilla. This is a Godzilla movie. I don't care about the people. The people are boring. Get them out of the movie and just give me more Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And not that every movie has to be the same, but that is not a, that is not a criticism that is like grounded in the reality of the Godzilla franchise. <laughs> like of, of, of what I've seen, like the best Godzilla movies are about how the people respond to what is functionally a natural disaster in a giant, you know, reptilian body. Good take. And so, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like fundamentally on the other side. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the, the, the problem is not enough Godzilla, but too much of the Mudos. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like they're just kind of like lumbering around and causing a lot of destruction, but like, it's not, it doesn't feel really special for kind of what I was saying before the, the rushed pacing and, Especially for a first movie and a reboot, like kind of having a narrower focus, I would have appreciated. Mm -hmm. Or honestly, a longer runtime uh, just to give us. And, and, you know, people people always want movies to be shorter, but a longer runtime to give us just a more time to kind of process what is happening and let us process it through the humans. I would have really appreciated. Yeah. And and I I think that the the Muto thing I definitely agree with. I literally put in my notes that like this this is feeling like the Muto movie more than the Godzilla movie right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I I think the movie could have benefited from like Godzilla being the one that they studied in that first set piece rather than than a Muto. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden mm -hmm. they just kind of reveal in some exposition dump They're like oh yeah Godzilla's been around for like several decades in the 1950s and we've just been watching him this whole time and now he's finally coming out to go fight these things and to me I, that felt a little anticlimactic that they're just feeling, yeah he's around we're just waiting for him to do something um and taking from that to his actual reveal in the hawaii set piece mm. was breathtaking in my uh, opinion. that is really how the explosions yeah. of the planes and there's like a slow pan are going and this is something that the movie does really <laughs> well and, and, and mm -hmm. with the camera is that it follows destruction or it follows action and it uses action to lead to the next subject in the in the shot and yeah. this is one of them where the muto destroys a plane it's causing a cascade of fireballs and then at the end of the window you see the, the stomp come in at the end so it's like this really cool perspective shot and it's this beginning of the face off and mm -hmm. obviously there's the the slow rise pan of oh. the real, real the full body and he does the shriek and it's you know bone chilling 
that that so, is a, tr- a yeah. truly amazing moment like that and that is yeah. in a little and that's where i think some of my like spielberg comparisons were coming from like you said of like and and one continuous shot having there be shifting subjects within it yes instead of just cutting yeah. around and, and later i do want to touch back on just how yeah almost like what the shot list for a movie like this looks like and how intentional some of these frames are yeah and, and yeah and i wrote in my notes it's like moments like like when the camera's following all these people and then you see the flares get shot up and then you follow the flares and it leads to the leg of godzilla i'm like this is this is movie magic and like in the way yes the not enough godzilla thing grinds my gears so so much because because you don't have moments like this without the restraint to hold back the godzilla card because the way the movie builds up the mythos of godzilla because things the, the things that are not seen are, are so much more are so much grander in, in your mind sometimes than, than in reality and the way it just yep. builds and builds up until that final reveal and the way it just holistically speaking the way the movie treats godzilla and his presence as such a novelty it yeah. just makes his presence so much more rewarding and it makes the payoffs hit so much harder like every time all of godzilla is in a frame it felt special and, and, and I know yes. that's something these movies uh, like ultimately lost, you know, when it became just when he became such of a main character. I just love the braveness of some of those choices, like you said, because like it, it, you know, the camera pans up, he roars, it's like a full goosebump moment. And I'm just like, I am in the presence of something so beyond words right now. And and the way it, it cuts away and it doesn't show you the fight, and you just see through the kids' point of view on the television of, of the fight, and you may bump on that, but like I know. It's okay to maybe bump on that choice, but like you know, the people on the opposite on the not enough Godzilla spectrum are like, we're probably furious at that. And like, bro, like show me the fight. And I'm like, and, and I, I think that moment is kind of a microcosm of where this movie may have lost some folks and maybe where some folks commended the film for its restraint. But but yeah. I absolutely agree that there is that feeling of like the cutaway and literally the like the fight's already over. It's like the next day or something. And they're like, <laughs> oh yeah, like there's we're showing a shot of him get back in the water. Like yeah. not a glimpse of the fight at all, mm-hmm. and I I actually did feel frustrated in my rewatch, being like mm. that was kind of weird. Like we have like this huge like triumphant moment mm-hmm. of the roar, and like oh fight's done, never <laughs> like, you don't get to see anything. Like yeah, and so it, that that felt a little weird because I had gotten like my emotions up to 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 watch that, and I would have mm-hmm. preferred at least like a taste of the fight. Like, <laughs> you can have like that's a, fair. like I a few fair. swings, a morsel yeah exactly like i don't need to see the whole fight but right. um yeah anyway but like it's it's not a huge bump I, I i do think like like i said before these are decisions being made it's not uh yes. cowardice it's just more the direction they went like, that is them. a brave choice to cut away from that fight is yeah. a brave choice yeah i mean it, I, if there's anything that i will praise this movie for it is that i think that it handles the kind of mythical imposing mm. instantly mm. iconic image of godzilla so well by not spoiling it by just just putting it on the screen over and over and over again Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it's like it's not revealing your ace too soon yeah exactly there's so much reverence and discretion in this movie that that i really love yeah you know godzilla i feel like that's there's there are like two directions that you can really go with a godzilla movie and that's like you, you know, you can go like with like the sort of more classic direction, which is that what Gareth Edwards like went for and is something that is kind of hard to do really well. So I, I appreciate that he tried or you can go the other way, which is like 
Godzilla is in every frame and it's just complete bonkers insanity, yeah. right? And those <laughs> those movies can be a lot of fun too, but like <laughs> yeah. Trying to trying to strike that balance and trying to trying to like go towards the other side of it in a modern especially like a modern blockbuster like where people like modern modern action movies have become so like people are waiting for the action scene to come yeah. in a way that like really didn't wasn't much of a thing in older action movies like people just want constant nonstop action to 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 try at least try to give it a more restrained touch not that i think he really succeeded but to yeah. try is commendable and i appreciate it right love that yeah and and yeah and ultimately it's it's the choice to you know adjust the sliders and and the balance between the humans and the monsters as the film goes on, it is where, I mean, how you respond to that, it is kind of where you will fall in the movie in, in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, yeah, because, like, when when the third act starts, like, the third act is initiated by is one of our favorite lines in the movie of uh, when Ken Watanabe says, let them fight, you know, which is an amazing, amazing line. And, like, and to me, that read as, like, literally the movie saying, like, this isn't about us anymore. Like, this is... Like, yeah. the threat and the scale is expanding so much, and it's something so much larger than us. Like, our interpersonal conflict is just, like, not the point anymore. And I like how, even as a viewer, how small that makes you feel. And in, and we can go set piece by set piece if we want, but just one moment in the Halo jump set piece, which I know we'll return to, oh. it's when the clouds part, and you just, and then you see, like, this POV shot of, like, Godzilla in the middle of a fight with another monster. Like, it felt mm -hmm. like... It felt like we were like interrupting something more important. Like it, it felt like the adults were talking <laughs> and the humans were just like, "Oh, we're yeah. sorry, we're sorry." Like, it, it, and I, I <laughs> love, I just love the humility of that it, it, in that finale. Yeah. It, it's such that is a fantastic visual. Yes, yeah. it, it, I mean, it, it is yeah. such. Again, it's one of the, the one of the many moments of amazing perspective in this movie, and that's something. And for me, that's a moment where I'm like, I'm like, where, like, where, do, where would someone like Cranston even fit in this finale? You know, it's like maybe. Like uh, even that's a that's thing. a laptop wallpaper moment. <laughs> no, I mean I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I did have that as my laptop wallpaper. <laughs> no, for a truly, while. Like, that is. But but that is a moment where I'm like, you know, I, I do kind of understand the decision of like we just like it's literally just clear the court, like call an ISO for Godzilla. It's like we maybe we yeah. don't have room for a Cranston in, in this finale. But I totally see the flip side of that, and I, I do think it was yeah. very worthwhile uh, of us to explore that and. I, I want to make like one last little point about like the script. Um, okay. Just like the script takes a back seat, I'd say, um, mm -hmm. and it rightfully yeah. so. I think that like the film becomes much more visually prominent in the second half, yeah. even if that also includes jumping around. The visuals, for the most part, um, are pretty pretty breathtaking. Um, you know, some moments of some dated cgi and vfx but it to me it wasn't very detracting especially chris and i being the uh the nighttime viewers um but <laughs> it, it's really i mean i i think the script specifically takes a step back at the let them fight moment like he has mm -hmm. the line he says before that which is i think like the tony gilroy line of like you know it's men's arrogance to like think that they um have you know a say or a control over nature or something among those lines and not the other way around mm. Like that is such a perfect buildup to let them fight, and it's like, <laughs> it's how awesome. can you even argue? How can you even argue against that statement? You're like, yeah, like these <laughs> things are like natural disasters, and they have to 
they have to clash. These are Titans that have to clash, and we don't have a say in that, you know, anymore. <laughs> we tried, and it's out of our hands. I, I also do appreciate the general who is the, you know, Jesus Christ is Jason Bourne guy. I love him. David Strather. Um, yeah. Strather. Yeah. Yeah. Bosa. Yeah. Um, I, I love that he wasn't, like, some mustache-twirling army general. Like, the new yeah. solution, the new solution it was honestly, when you hear them talk about, like, it's all we have. That's all, like, literally what he says. He's like, listen, I'm open to suggestions, yeah. but this is literally all we can do. So it's like, if you could tell mm -hmm. me an alternative, and he's just like, well, we could just let him, you know, <laughs> beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, that doesn't seem very safe. <laughs> They avoid, yeah, like you said, the stubborn general trouble. He's like, bro, this all we got. Yeah, he's like, he's yeah. like, if there's a better idea, we will use it. This is all we yeah. have. Well, which is great. Yeah, and which to me, I was the breath of fresh air. Absolutely. It truly, truly. And, and I, a note I made while watching the movie, and, and I didn't, and I, I didn't mean this against the script or specifically the writing of the dialogue. Now, I, I was just, I was watching it and I was like, I think there is a direct correlation between what the current words per minute is in this movie and how much the movie is cooking. Like, like if you're watching, you're like, <laughs> yeah. like no, one's, no one's really said anything in the few minutes. That means you're either watching something or you're about to see one of the coolest things you've ever seen. <laughs> like, it, yeah. when, when the conversation stops and it's just Gareth guiding you through a set piece, it's like the movie is really singing in those moments. But not that I thought, I, I didn't feel like I was muscling through any of the conversations or, or you know, or any, any of the writing. It's just, it was just serviceable to get you to those amazing set pieces. And I think this can kind of mm -hmm. lead us into our conversation just about the directing and the, I mean, put a coin in the jar every time we say it, the scale of the film. <laughs> and, and uh, at one point, I was wondering, I, I was like, should I be taking note, like for the pod, you know, should I be taking note every time Edwards does something with perspective and scale, like in a set piece, like that is really awesome and worth mentioning. But then I, I realized, I was like, honestly, like, I think it would have taken me five hours to finish the movie. If, if I tried, yeah. if I tried taking moment of every time I was like, oh, that was a really cool shot, right? I mean, yeah. we could do an entire pod. I'm just going scene by scene through these set pieces and just breaking down like what he's doing. Uh, from a directorial standpoint and, and uh, like it's yeah. it, it's moments like in the in the um like the, the monorail sequence where aaron taylor johnson is, is on the train and in mm -hmm. like the mutos are attacking where and it's kind of dunkirk-esque too where there, there's like there there will be a single explosion and then you immediately see that explosion from like multiple different perspectives and like multiple yeah. different people and not only does it add so much to the experience but it, it it's never disorienting either like it's so spatially yeah. cogent as well and i just think that is so so well done and and it's all these different perspectives that are so meaningful and like i said so additive in these set pieces and there's so many different ways i could compliment them but i think i, I really want to talk about and, and this is a, for me a very spielbergian aspect of it is just how intentional gareth edwards is with his frames and yeah personally i i especially ever since i started like making movies uh, like myself i've become just like hyper aware and almost like overly concerned when watching a scene especially conversational scenes of like how many shots or how much coverage the director is getting in a scene and how, you know, how, how many different angles he's trying to shoot these people with, because, and, and for me, like, I'll be, especially in these like big studio movies, sometimes you'll be watching a scene and there are just so many different angles, like you're cutting between and there's so much different coverage that seems so unnecessary. And I'm like, unless you're like a Tony Scott and you have like a million cameras going and like, and you have eight different cameras going in between them, or unless you're a David Fincher and you're doing this, like, 
and you're getting all this different coverage for the sake of perfectionism and this kind of like and maximizing the set you're living in unless you're one of those getting so much coverage in so many different angles can just read to me as just like a lack of intention and a lack of vision and just like oh let's like let's just shoot the scene in all these different ways and we'll kind of and we'll kind of put it together in post and yeah. i love how in this movie like there's such a considered and appropriate amount of coverage and in, in, in frames like it feels like he storyboarded this so much and, and like this in the spielberg nature of it came through to me especially in those conversation scenes where like like in, instead of just you know cutting around this room of eight different people in the conversation i just some like disorienting pace he'll just like you know he'll keep it in one continuous shot and just move between different subjects or or he'll just yeah. have like maybe just one setup per person and, and that's yeah. just something I really appreciate on like a granular, a granular level. And then it sings the most and comes to life the most in those big set pieces where he's just like showing you so many different angles and perspectives. I know I keep using that word a lot, but POVs of the action, but not just for the sake of like covering it wholly. Like it's, it's such an additive experience to what you, the viewer is feeling. Like it's all for the sake of, placing you the viewer in that environment and making you feel what the characters are feeling and i think it is so utterly effective and is ultimately at the end of the day all of these things that he's doing all these choices he's making makes this movie like truly inspire awe in a way that i think so many blockbusters fail to do there'll be so many big budget films that try to throw so much at you and throw and, and try to throw a spectacle at you but so, like but so few of them make me feel like I'm in the presence of spectacle. I feel like, like this movie did, you know, like I audibly went, that's so cool. Or, or went, whoa, like countless times <laughs> in this movie. And the people I was watching with, one of them who had never seen it before, they were doing the same thing. And, and, and frankly, like, and maybe this, this is just a long way of me saying, like, I wish I could have watched it in the theater again. Cause I, it, it was just so like watching, like I had a pretty good watching setup on my TV, but even that it felt like a disservice to, to what he was accomplishing. Kind of begs to be scale. seen in the theater. Truly. Yeah. It, 100%. So I know I just, I just kind of monologued, but, but, but what are you guys thinking? Yeah. It, the, the movie was definitely storyboarded, you know, yeah, that's like yeah. absolutely yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a big takeaway. Um, there, there's one particular shot that I want to call out for surprising me in a, in a nice way. There was a mm -hmm. moment when Elizabeth Olsen, who we have not mentioned up until now, um, is basically standing and she's looking out into like the foggy distance and she sees this guy coming down on a parachute. For a brief moment, I thought, you know, this was Aaron Taylor Johnson coming in <laughs> just to like save the day or something. I was like, oh, this is corny as hell. Like I was worried. And then it cuts to like, to a reaction shot of her and right behind her a fighter jet just flies into a building behind her yeah and i was oh. like wait that was such a sick reveal because it's like yes. wait where's this guy coming from and then you realize oh it's because his fighter jet was just knocked out of the sky and then it like, cuts to all the jets falling because of the starting EMP. to fall those are yes. really great moments of visual storytelling without saying a single oh, word you're so and right like so yeah i just wanted to call that out no no and you're, you're absolutely right again it's like the way just the way he's introducing like these ideas and these feelings it is just so effective and, and it's like i said this isn't just covered for the sake of coverage it's all like perspectives that add new emotions and it's it's all additive for a visceral experience mateo what are you thinking especially in the third act i think i agree generally with mm -hmm. with what you guys have said i think 
at least for me, you know, watch this movie if you can in like the darkest room possible. Like, <laughs> check the lumens, like, <laughs> because this movie is shot very, very dark. Yeah, like some of the some of the some of the set pieces are so unbelievably dim. Yeah, and I can see that being a criticism of the cinematography. I think like. You, you like uh, somebody who is acting in, in in bad faith can see that decision and say, oh, they're using that to cover up, so they have to do less CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I the one the one point where I think Edward's direction started to lose me a little bit was the uh, the the Las Vegas oh, the the Las Vegas reveal. yeah attack. I don't know. Kind of feels like kind of a lost uh, kind of like a missed opportunity. Like. I don't know why he why they decided to to take that story there but like the destruction of of Las Vegas like feels just kind of like an afterthought so that you know he can have like the Roy Orbison I think it's Roy Orbison needle drop and like you know kind of just like play around in this like like silly like colorful environment but like I don't think he like minds that much out of it and maybe that is maybe that is due to the fact that the the mudos are just like less interesting than godzilla like yeah it, it and the, and like you're just kind of and the script is just moving so fast that you're just like kind of like chasing after them like and you just get to see them lay waste to a place and then move on and i think in those moments like maybe just just some longer takes and, and just like some more mm-hmm. lingering like just just like lingering a little more uh like you know taking a page from like kind of slower slower cinema would have been to this movie's strength um mm-hmm. but i think i think apart from that i think you guys you guys brought up some some really great points about especially that finale like how how the really it's two because it's two set pieces you have the the mm-hmm. bomb diffusal and the uh and like this giant battle happening at the same time the editing balance that it takes to bring those together and like make those flow and not roll your eyes and say, Oh, we're back at this. And then we're back at that again. It's, it's pretty hard to land the plane there. And um, I think I'd give him probably like a B for that. (laughs) I think it's interesting. Yeah. I I, I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah. I'm glad you bring up the editing because that is something I wanted to talk about. And it's uh, the film, (laughs) the film was edited, but by, um, by Bob Doucet, who like, I'm not like, again, I'm not someone, I'm not going to act like I'm someone who just like, has just like a whole catalog of editors in my mind to like look out for in the credits. I just know him because he's Ryan Johnson's primary editor. And I, that was one of my biggest praises of the movie was, was I, I felt like it was so well edited. And in a micro sense, I, I thought from set piece to set piece, I thought each set piece just like perfectly snowballed and just grew and grew and grew and always built up into some huge payoff. Even if it was just like a, like a, a couple minutes, like the, like the buses on the bridge, and just the way uh, he just totally sets the stage, like, like you were saying, Seb, in a totally visual storytelling sense, like, you know, w- w- without saying what's happening, I-, I just felt like all these just builds and payoffs from scene to scene were so good. And the way it's cutting between all these different players in these set pieces was so smooth, and especially with how much is jumping around spatially. I always felt totally engaged. Because I felt like the movie as a whole was also doing this, like, rolling this larger snowball at this, like, gradually and sometimes exponentially increasing 
and increasing pace because, and you guys bumped on that a little bit. I was okay with it because I felt like, you know, because again, it, it's the, the film starts at a very, at a much slower pace as the stakes are much more personal and much smaller. But as the stakes grow, I mean, because like the threat and the scale of, of this danger does grow at a rapid pace. And I feel like the movie like uh, speeds up in conjunction with that. And, and I, I don't know, I, I felt like, I just felt like it, I felt like it was all in, in service of communicating the stakes and also just like helping the movie just move along really, really well. Like it felt it felt light on sweet for two hours, but I know to you guys that like, communicated that that came through as a little more weightless because these characters are being swept up in this whirlwind. And I thought the overall pace and the exponentially growing nature and rapidly speeding up nature was was in a meaningful, effective snowballing effect. But that's just where I, I lied on it, yeah. I was going to say, I, what's interesting is that we can kind of mm-hmm. compare this to Incredibles 2, um, where that, like, these scenes aren't necessarily lacking information. There's just, like, a lot of scenes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on. Um, but for this case, for you, like, it it works because you said that it's kind of increasing in scale mm-hmm. and increasing in, yeah. in the amount of stakes. That it's almost you have to start, start covering up. things. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, where right, whereas in Incredibles too, it's kind of like it's all it, it all becomes kind of blurred together because like the, it all always feels like high stakes. Yeah, because the pacing in this movie is on a curve, and the pacing in Incredibles was just this straight line that was always fast, you know. And and, and in this one, I feel like uh, the yeah. the scenes and set pieces are so much more defined. I I want to shout out a specific moment where. The, movie didn't have to do this because i feel like a lot of monster movies like to have their moments where like the human character and the monster connect and there's a very brief moment where godzilla's knocked down and like the mist clears away and aaron taylor johnson doesn't even realize that he's standing right next to like the the body of godzilla and he opens his eyes and they have this moment where they connect and no, nothing's said but they both kind of get up yes. and go back to their thing and i'm just like that was so cool like, I mean, yeah, sure. It doesn't oh, that was one of my favorite plot, moments. But I just, like, it was nice to have that. And it is a true, like... Just looking at each other. Just acknowledging each other. making yeah. the viewer feel, like, in the presence of something so much bigger than yourself. And it's it's an awesome moment. Yeah. I, and, and another yeah. scene that I wanted to highlight, again, just a small little moment. Like, it, it's, it's, in, it's when they're in Chinatown and all the soldiers are there. And for, like, 10 seconds, there's this, like, really inspired, like almost like musical decision of like the score becomes really minimalistic and it's just these like dissonant piano notes like it got kind of like piano chords playing and then like the lightning flashes and then you just see godzilla there as like a piano note cues and i'm like i don't know where this came oh, from but like that yeah. was cinema right yeah. there like that was amazing it was just like 10 really yeah. inspired seconds for me that i, I just yeah. I, I, all i wanted to do was highlight that and, and and say that everyone in the room went whoa like that it was just it was just so cool that that made me feel like this is what movies are about you know it, it's just like you're experiencing something you, you can't anywhere else and we already highlighted like the, the hawaii sequence and like the planes exploding moving down and then boom in the foot landing and that's just it's it's so visceral and yeah. it's just so amazing and and we just we just need to talk about the halo jump scene that is a moment that that's what I'm talking when I, when I'm like this is yeah. awe inspiring and, and like the almost like the choral like uh, orchestral voices 
uh, that are scoring the scene and the way in this movie we talk about gravity a little bit but this movie does do like actual pov shots too i, I think really really well because again oh like, yeah they're, they're great i actually i was a big fan yeah. of i was a big fan of the limited but if, yeah just very solid first person work uh, absolutely and i mean i know if you were taking a shot every time i said perspective you would probably be in the hospital right now but that <laughs> is a moment where it's quite literally like doing pov and perspective so just so so effectively and it, it has to be brought up and seb mentions this in his letterbox review but um uh, but this is a halo jump scene and a few years later came up uh the mission impossible fallout halo jump scene and when the godzilla one started i was like oh i was like am i gonna like is this gonna fall flat for me because of how like because i've seen the fallout scene in the way they like actually the way they filmed it for real in fallout I didn't feel that way because I feel like this this movie had some sauce that the Fallout one doesn't have. Like I think they're different enough, you know. Even even if it's as little as the red streaks on their ankles, like inspired choice, by the way. Like whoever was like had the red streaks, I I I hope they're for one K is paid for. I hope they're like they, I, I, yeah. I hope they're living large. That yeah. was, it's just so beautiful, and that I think maybe this is the wallpaper shot you were saying, Mateo. But when it goes wide and you just see all the red streaks falling in, and like this war torn city, I'm like that. That was maybe this becomes a segment. That was my this is why we play moment. Yeah, I was just about to say that. That, that is the postscript certified this is why we play if like, the movie only existed for that shot i'm like worth it worth it that is that is so yeah. like this is why we yeah. go to the movies no, this is why we go to the theater like it's it is it is real. and then and then when the clouds part and and it's just like oh and like, the, I, the coral music. Like, sorry guys it's yeah. like, like you see godzilla in some fight like we'll come back another <laughs> time like you guys are clearly in the middle of something but and and again, I think that is possible because, like we said earlier, with the restraint it shows and, and how it like showing Godzilla in doses, like when Godzilla first lights up, when Godzilla first breathes oh, fire, was, yeah. that like that is a like I had seen this movie before, and I was oddly going, "Yo!" Like I mean, those the kills are oh. incredible. Well, I was like, just gonna say, wait, wait, before we get to that, before we get to that, the first reveal of the fire breath. It was awesome because there's this moment where uh, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson's at face to face with, um, you know, one of the yeah. uh, the Mudas, and it's about to kill him. And then all of a sudden you hear this noise, and it starts panning up, and you start seeing the slow build of like blue rock yeah, going up glow, the back yeah. of something, and you realize it's him, and it's the reveal of the fire. And that's not a kill; it's just the yes. reveal that he has yes. the fire breath, <laughs> which it's the best ever yeah. look. There's there's no fire breath in any other Godzilla where that's looked better. My my friend who hadn't seen it before had the same reaction my brother and I did back in 2014 when we saw it. He breathes fire and we go, yo, didn't know he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's so cool. And like, it's sometimes like, I'm not even going to try to find like a more sophisticated word. What if it's just really cool? What if it's just yeah. awesome? Like, the cool yeah. factor will sometimes override. Yeah. yeah. It's like sometimes when there's like, you know, technically there was a penalty on a play in a sport, but sometimes the play was so cool, you're just going to give it up. You're going to let it play. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, really. to build, yeah, building on that, like, the way that it does those kills, like, it is it is kind of funny that you, that, like, really, like, those giant fights at the end of the day, when they're, like, beating the crap out of each other, it kind of is a street fight with miniatures. Like, <laughs> and... right. You know, like just like the like breathing fire, like into the thing's mouth, like into its insides, like it, it's such a like it's like kind of like gross, <laughs> like yeah, but like, 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 like thinking about it, like, 
rips its head yeah. off. Yeah. 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 Like Top it is like kill of all time, in my opinion. Wild animals just killing each other. And and it made me like the those kills are like maybe the best thing about like this franchise. Like the like the Universal Monsterverse kills. Like, I mean, the King Kong one in Godzilla v. Kong, like it made me want to Google that one on YouTube, watch that clip. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because like Gareth Edwards did them so well. And you know that everybody else like in every sequel was like, oh, let me write that down. Let me write that down. Let me, I got to do one of these. Write that, write that down. Yeah. No, and again, it's, it's, but yeah, those kills are like, for me, one of the main examples of just like, like amazing, amazing payoffs, but like in a yes. visual and visceral sense, like those, like not even necessarily story payoffs. Sometimes they're just like, like within a single set piece payoffs. It just like, from yeah. a purely visual sense, just like really, it just, it, it, it scratched an itch for me. <laughs> Because again, oh, yeah. it, this movie really does communicate how, like, how, how much we almost ought to revere and be in fear of Godzilla. <laughs> like, and yeah. how this is, I, I think there's a quote from Gareth Edwards I just have to read out. He, when he was describing how he wants, like, God, Godzilla, the character to be viewed in this movie, he is, uh, <laughs> quote, he's the punishment we deserve. I'm like, that oh, you. Oh, what is a rowdy? should put that in the movie. I was saying, put that in the movie, that in bro. That is, that, is, that is so good. Because again, this movie, as a viewer, it makes you feel helpless. And, and I love, just one shot I love is when on the bridge with all the school buses, and like, and you can tell this wave is coming, and you just see like the three like back spikes of Godzilla just spikes, moving in the yeah. water. I'm like, here that's, he comes. Like, yeah, like it's the fact it's that he comes like, a big wave. Like, because like, you know someone would like would see the YouTube link of like all Godzilla scenes and be like, "What? It's only eight minutes?" But like, it's like that because every, at least I got excited every time he was on screen, and I think that's so oh, special. Of course. And, and it's just yeah. like I appreciated his vision in that sense. You know, that's so. fair. Did so, yeah. did y'all think the movie kind of ended a little abruptly? I was like, oh, it's over. Like, when he just gets back in the water, just cuts to that credits, was, you're like, oh, that, okay. Funny, my, my, my friend just goes, she goes, surely the movie isn't over, immediately cuts to black. Like, that was, no, it was, seriously. It was <laughs> hilarious. But, like, and I, for me, and again, maybe I'm just, like, drinking the Kool-Aid of, like, what I think his vision was so much. But, like, it's like he's back with his family, and the moment, like, Godzilla leaves, it's just, like, story's over it's like there's nothing else to be told it's like the, it became his story and his conflict and once he leaves it's like what more is there to be you know yeah, yeah. it's not about us anymore it's like he's gone movie's done that's just how i, I, I think yeah. i think maybe like a modern audience member is like waiting for the sequel setup <laughs> uh that's like supposed to be tantalizing in a sense yeah yeah that's, personally... that's, that's what i feel yeah. like yeah like Where's, like where's my mcu post credits like, <laughs> i mean i was personally waiting for the full circle with brian cranston i thought there was gonna be another scene with aaron like maybe like like coming to terms so i mean i guess he already did technically because he wanted to finish the fight for him but mm -hmm. I, I thought there was there was gonna be like the last scene in the movie but to be honest like i it's not necessary and i, I still feel like it's fine uh, with where it was i just i was surprised by like <laughs> Just the shot, I guess it chose to end on. Like he's just kind of slowly getting back into the water. It's like, oh, done. And it's it's a long <laughs> shot of the water after, like after he yeah. like, kind of yeah. slips in. It just lingers yeah. on the water for like a really long time. That's when I realized I was like, oh, we're about to cut. And then yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And maybe it's like it's like just like that. Like he's Godzilla's in our lives, and then and then he just departs. Like last online fifty years ago type of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and any final things you guys want to talk about about this movie before we wrap up? I, I'm thinking if we're trying to, you know, if our point is to, you know, 
put a period on this discourse and like mm-hmm. like kind of like give this movie a good like final word i think for me i think this movie is remembered for maybe all the wrong reasons Mm. uh i was gonna say that that was the that was the opposite of what i said last week for birdman where i said remember for the right reasons the yeah. Yeah, like, birdman. yeah that's fine. like i think every every like kind of like popular easy thought to have about this movie about why it's good or why it's bad is like basically wrong it, i think <laughs> how, it is how much does that attribute to an opinion you know like how is that more of an opinion or are we just actually saying like no it actually like people just what i mean it is it. what i mean is just that like the the criticism that this movie has received over the years is like all about like the human characters and not enough Godzilla and like I think we've kind of like discoursed so much about why those criticisms are like kind of just like really off the mark of what this movie is trying to do and yeah. like what makes Godzilla such an interesting like story to tell and so I think yeah like I think this is a movie that if you haven't seen it recently, deserves a rewatch for that because Gareth Edwards deserves the respect to have people actually remember his movie for what it is and not what mm. it isn't. Like, yeah. even if you don't like it, I'm glad that I watched it and that I can, I, I have an opinion about the movie that is actually grounded in what it is and not like, yeah, like the, the hazy memory just in this case feels so incorrect. That. That I, was such a good line, Mateo. I got like almost chills for that. <laughs> like, re- remember for what the movie is, not what it isn't. Although, <laughs> I I love that. I was gonna say if I had to, I, I think my little phrase to sum it up, it might be, in in terms of what his reputation is, in movie culture, I, I'm just gonna say user error. I understand the movie has flaws. There are things to bump on, but yeah, like it, in terms of like how it's largely viewed, and even somehow people watch it, it. It feels a little bit like user error in a way. And that's that's at least the Chris takeaway in that. I was watching the movie and like when I see just like the beaten and just like scarred Godzilla after like saving the world, like walk back into the ocean. I was like, man, we don't deserve Godzilla. Like, <laughs> but then I was like, that, I, I mean, kind of, you know, double entendre because I'm like, in relation to how we have treated this movie, like we don't really deserve it, you know, because it, it's operating. Yeah with so much more integrity. And like, I'm not saying this movie like should have been on like end of decade list or something like that. Like, I'm not like, oh, this yeah. is actually Mad Max Fury Road. I just think this movie has its lane. It knows exactly what it wants to do and just does it. And you may bump on some of the choices and like there are some some maybe self-imposed limitations on that, but it just operates with so much confidence and, and is yeah. delivering the experience that I think it, that it exactly wants to deliver. And and for that, I, I think I think it ought to be commended. And part of me almost doesn't even want to knock it for what it lacks because I because it's just yeah, it's just trying to be one specific thing for the viewer. Yeah. And, and for that, I, I appreciated it on that level. That's why I think what Mateo said was perfect. Like remember for yeah. what it is, not for what it didn't have, you know, or what exactly. it wasn't. Yeah. So yeah. Well because said. there's so many Godzilla movies afterwards that are just like yeah, that have all those fights and he's in like two out of two and a half hours so it's just like watch those movies if that's what you really care about like i feel like mm. this movie's actually trying to do something a little different well, well said you can, you can get your fix elsewhere you know and this movie is providing exactly. something different so yeah exactly so hey i feel I, I feel good about that um and so yeah well um, go see the creator yeah. uh this friday oh, yeah if you, if you can into it so, so i gotta i gotta watch is. the creator now 
Yeah. I gotta watch it. <laughs> I am right, right, very, right. very excited for that. Especially given the reviews. Like Yeah, good, good early first reactions. I'm very, very excited. And next week we will be uh revisiting Jordan Peele's Us. We're very excited about kicking off a spooky October with uh <laughs> with us. Yes, sir. So uh, thank you all for listening and we will see you then. <laughs>